This podcast is sponsored by Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Listen for more at the conclusion of today's program. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. We preach because we are supposed to preach. But do we sit down as elders with our pastors and plan out what are the preaching needs of our congregants? Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host, James Dolzo. James, how are you today? I'm doing well, Jonathan. We are joined today on the phone by uh, Wendell McBurney, Dr. Wendell McBurney, who has recently written a book called Vital Churches, the subtitle of which is Elder Responsibility for Their Pastors and Congregational Planning. Uh, Dr. McBurney has a very interesting background. He was dean of research and sponsored programs at Indiana University. He held a faculty appointment in Indiana University's School of Education and has done a lot of work in academic circles with grant writing and other kinds of things. But uh, he's a member of the RPCNA, the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, and has been for many decades. And so uh, his work here in the book brings together some of the insights of his uh, career, we might say, outside the church, but also his concerns within the church. So, Dr. McBurney, thanks for joining us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for writing the book, and thank you for your willingness to talk with us about it. I, I wanted to begin by asking uh, about the the reasons for writing this book. You served as an elder. You have served as an elder um, in local congregations for a long time, and this book seems to be born out of some of the concerns you have for those who are ordained to that task uh, or ordained as elders in their churches, that there are things that are, are missing from their understanding of that role. So could you talk us through some of those concerns that led you to write this book? Yes. You know, that's a, it's a good observation, I think, of uh, kind of where I've been. Uh, throughout my experience in the church, it's always been a problem for me to see some of the struggles that pastors have that it's often easy to miss. And um, I've, I've been in a number of congregations uh, for various purposes, but I've been officially member of two different congregations over my uh, lifetime. And not only in those two congregations, but as I've been asked to visit within other congregations, uh, I, I've seen a, a a problem, a trend, if you will, and that is that there's a tendency to do things because we do them rather than seeing the end results we expect. Now, one of the things in the book that I've made clear is that I, I've been criticized, actually, for uh, wanting to put an emphasis on end products as opposed to activities. And uh, I, I think that the whole issue of means versus ends is something which has become increasingly clear to me as something that is not dealt with uh, adequately in the church. Um, we'll have a retreat for the purpose of holding a retreat. What do you expect to be changed because of the retreat? 
this is something that uh, we don't actually think about when we plan that retreat. What is it that you want people to do differently after the retreat? Or what do you want sessions, elders, to be doing after particular events, including just simple elder meetings? And this has been a, a growing concern of mine, and also it was reinforced by uh, a pastor who I knew, have known very well for years, who has also had the opportunity in retirement to visit in congregations, helping them out occasionally with different issues. And he said to me once, Wendell, he said, you know, elders don't know the difference between means and ends. And that just kind of reinforced my own concerns. And that's kind of what bred the planning dimension of this book. However, I have to tell you, I didn't start out uh, writing this book with the notion that planning was central to my purpose. What was central to my purpose was the pastor, the personal life of the pastor, the fact that pastors have to meet bills, they have toothaches, they have to change flat tires. Um, there's something very personal about the pastor's life that I think is often omitted by even ordained elders who should be the closest to the pastor in the congregation. Early on in the book, you, um, you discuss people who, who kind of pit the, the pastor as a professional against a ministerial calling. And uh, there's almost this idea that since it's a ministerial calling, uh, he doesn't need to be treated as a professional, but you, you disagree with that uh, early in the book, and I wonder if you might just say a, a couple things about why you approach the pastor as a professional and how that impacts the sort of planning uh, the elders should be making for him. Well, I guess, I guess a lot of this comes from my own experience in academia and uh, being aware of what kind of preparation it requires for most people that we do call professionals, I don't care if it's doctor, lawyer, or architect, or city planner, um, they all have to have a certain degree of proficiency academically before they can perform adequately. And I don't see the pastor as any different than that. Um, I, I think I cited in the book where once I was uh, really called out by a, a pastor for trying to um, liken the pastor to a professional. And that at the time rubbed me the wrong way, but I didn't know quite why. <laughs> so what I did was to, I, I commiserated on this over the years. And when I had this opportunity to speak out, I thought, you know, there, there's a topic that I think needs to be addressed. We expect certain things of our dentists. We expect certain things of our, uh, plumbers, uh, a knowledge, and, and their fields keep changing. Well, that's the same thing with the pastorate. Um, continuing theological studies is an important thing. Um, treating the person with respect for the t time it takes to um, provide sermons and other interactions with the congregation that just don't come because you're, you're asked to preach. Uh, I, th I think there's a difference between a, well, I, I think we see a difference 
like it or not, between a pastor and a preacher. If we call him the preacher, we're thinking, well, that's what he does on the Sabbath day. That's what he does in the pulpit. If we see him as a pastor, we see him as someone who's able to inject themselves into other portions of our life. And in many situations, even beyond the preaching, it requires an academic background. It requires a continuing education. It requires, frankly, a respect that I don't think many pastors get. I, I'm talking about an academician who has uh, spent years in preparation and one who is to be respected for that. I don't know if that helps or not, but that's kind of off the top of my head reaction. To your no, I, I think that's a very helpful distinction, and it sets the stage for your section on planning with the pastor and and, and trying to help uh, you know support the pastor as best you can, given that in many ways you know we should consider him a professional. What in your in your experience, what are some of the most neglected components of this? I mean, you mentioned compensation and allocation of time and accountability and a number of other very important topics. But as you've spoken with elders and as you've been a part of various churches. What are the top one or two most neglected items that, that elders don't think about with respect to planning with and for their pastors? A very simplistic answer to your question is becoming a personal friend of the pastor. I just think that's incredibly important. In fact, uh, I don't think I'm telling secrets here by saying that my original, the title I wanted for this book initially was The No Agenda Lunch. Hmm. Um, I had that voted down by almost everybody who I tried it out on, but I still think it was the right title for this book. <laughs> the No Agenda Lunch is simply invite your pastor out for lunch and just sit there and talk. Don't, don't say, hey, I want to talk to you about this or that. Just have a good time with them. Uh, and as I've mentioned throughout the book in several places, you know, you go to a high school play or go to tennis with them. This, these, these people are people. And they're not, uh, they're not someone we can't get acquainted with. I may be more inclined toward that than some people are able to do because I think there's something in our society that suggests that we tend to uh, be intimidated by or kowtow to those who hold um, positions in society that might be a little more what people call higher than ours. But nevertheless, they're just people. And that's... the that may be the biggest thing that I, I see beyond the ones I have mentioned in the book there. Although, if you read the book carefully, you find that I come back to this point on, on several occasions. I can't stay away from it. I think it's one of the most important things. Be a friend of your pastor. Be always available to help him. And, and be aware that this pastor, there's something about the pastor-elder congregational relationship where the pastor typically... Uh, it's not particularly comfortable to come to someone and say, hey, I need help. I need your, you know, I need your uh, input in, in a very personal thing in my life. So moving from that, as you mentioned earlier, there are sort of three major emphases in the book. One is uh, pastoral uh, support and preparation. And, 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 and as you said, the thread that runs through that is look at him as a, a person and, and look at him as someone who has, there, there's a professional element to this in terms of the training and background and, and all the things that go along with that. But your, the second um, 
The second emphasis of the book is this uh, idea of of planning in general, congregational planning. And and I wonder if you could in in a in the broadest way talk about what sorts of things ought to be on the agenda when it comes to planning the life of the congregation. You talked at the beginning, I think very helpfully, and this comes out in the book about trying to determine what outcome are we aiming at um, rather than just doing things for the sake of doing them. But uh, what sorts of things should be on that kind of planning agenda? I think the basic thing, of course, is to understand what's the purpose of the church. The church is to um, respond to the needs of sinners and saints alike. And what is our congregation doing to make most effective use of our time and our strengths? Again, going back to maybe an old horse of mine that I ride occasionally, and that is uh, we we do things because we do them. We, We preach because we are supposed to preach. But do we sit down as elders with our pastors and plan out what are the preaching needs of our congregants? And if we address those, do we expect any change in the, I hate to say behavior, but in the conduct of our individuals and the conduct of our congregation? What is it that we want to do here? Uh, One of the things, I'm wondering a little bit here perhaps, but one of the things that seems to get in the way of congregational planning is money. Do you, do you allow the limits of resources to confine your thinking and your defining best how to respond to the needs of the congregation? Or do you set your sights on what the congregation needs and then go back and find out what resources are necessary and then locate those resources if you don't have them? We're near the end of our time, but I wanted to just close with something that you mentioned near the end of your book, which is encouraging churches to consider the implementation of an internship program. So just briefly, could you talk about what benefits you you see um, in passing along this understanding of a pastoral work and understanding of, of the planning that a congregation needs to undergo to, to the next uh, generation and, and, and how important that is even for, for elders and those in church leadership? Yes, I, I acknowledge that all congregations aren't uh, capable, if you will, for, for numerous reasons of, of conducting an internship program, but with little effort, and I'm thinking now in terms of resources and even planning, a congregation can introduce into its mission, I think, the experiences it has had in being a, a good congregation. Uh, let me back up a bit. Um, I've watched people who are young people who are interested in becoming pastors, uh, becoming seminary students for one reason or another, whether it be the pastorate or something else. And they need some encouragement at the local level. And uh, my experience has been that if a congregation recognizes the potential it has for a ministry that is, uh, I hate to say it, but inexpensive, 
it adds another dimension to what the congregation can can do. It not only helps men in the future as they enter the ministry, but it also, for example, would help someone coming into the denomination, a, a seasoned pastor who is changing to your denomination, coming in and spending time with the pastor, with the elders, with the members, getting acquainted with the idiosyncrasies of a new denomination. One of the things I had always felt was a possibility, and I've never been able to um, pull this one off, but I would like to see a congregation um, team up with an academic institution, a seminary, so that an internship in a congregation, learning the nuts and bolts, the everyday challenges of, of the pastorate, where a student, is, while still in seminary, could spend some time with a local pastor as a part of the seminary academic requirements. Well, Dr. McBurney, there are many more topics that you cover in this book and many more that we could even cover today, but unfortunately we are out of time. So thank you for your time today uh, speaking with us and thank you for your work sort of systematically thinking through these important issues uh, related to local congregational life. You're welcome, and I'm delighted to have had the opportunity to visit with you, and I hope this is helpful to you and especially to elders who may be listening. And uh, I, I just, uh, it's one of the things I've wondered, you know, who's going to read this book and how are we going to get people to read it? And I just think that uh, opportunities like this can contribute toward that, and I thank you for that. Uh, Jonathan, I think a book like this is unique. Not everyone can write this. Not everyone has 50 years experience uh, as an elder uh, and has thought through concretely how to take care of the pastor. And, uh, and so I think uh, Dr. McBurney's book is going to have that, that, and even in reading it, you can just see it has that personal touch of somebody who has been in the trenches and had to make decisions uh, on how to take care of the pastor. And as you, you can even tell from my interview, very analytic and detailed and thinks through the steps of it. Um, and sometimes you need someone to kind of slow down the tape uh, and, and help you to think through um, very concretely what taking care of the pastor looks like. And while there certainly will be more detail than maybe any given situation needs, having that available in arm's reach uh, can only be good. Yeah. And I, and I think you put it well, I could see this book because it is, it's unusual in that he deals with a number of specific topics and it's not always easy at the beginning to kind of wrap your arms around the, the whole. And I think that's because it, it would serve as a good resource. Like you said, you could look through the table of contents. I guarantee anyone serving in a church could look through the table of contents and find something in here that is relevant to a situation that you faced in the church. And if there is a thread that runs through it, it's exactly what you said. He cares about pastors. He cares about congregations and he's thinking analytically about how best to help them. And so this book is just full of, of little gems really spotlighting those. And he intends it to be used as a handbook. And I think we would recommend it uh, to any readers as a kind of, a kind of handbook, some, some wisdom as you are facing uh, the care of your pastor. That's right. The care of your pastor and planning for your congregational life. So the book again is called Vital Churches, Elder Responsibility for Their Pastors and Congregational Planning. It's uh, published by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. If you're interested in getting it, you can do this at Reformed Resources, but you can also enter to 
potentially win a copy of this book. If you go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link. We'll ask for your information, and you may uh, be chosen to receive a free copy of this book, but you can pick it up as well through the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners, hearing suggestions, hearing any counsel or, or any uh, even complaints that you might have about the, the subjects we've covered or the way we've covered them. So it's good to hear from you. And uh, it's, it's also wonderful when we hear that you are able to support the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, our umbrella organization here. You can do that at AllianceNet.org or PlaceForTruth.org. Share this podcast with your friends. If you can think of anyone who may be helped by it, we'd love it if you'd pass it along to them. If you can rate and review us on iTunes, uh, that helps us get out the word. And really, as always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello, I'm Jonathan Master, president of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. When I look back at what first drew me to the Alliance, it was Dr. Boyce speaking about the great need for reformation and a return to historic Reformed confessions, biblical preaching, and thoughtful worship. Given the changes in our culture since then, that need is even greater today. The church today needs bold proclamation of sound doctrine, clear teaching of the Bible, and worship that is God-honoring and full of reverence and joy. At Greenville Seminary, we aim to meet this need by equipping men for pastoral ministry, men who are courageously committed to the truth, who are Christ-like in their character, committed to prayer, and called to be ministers of God's Word in local churches. If you're interested in learning more about Greenville Seminary, either as a prospective student or as an interested friend, visit us at gpts.edu. Greenville Seminary, equipping preachers, pastors, and churchmen for Christ's kingdom among the nations.